Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelly Reback, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Mid-Week, Mid-Morning Dose of News and Public Affairs with a Local Perspective. You are listening to WMNF 88.5 on your radio, Tampa Bay's only independent, commercial-free FM radio, brought to you by you because we are supported by generous listeners just like you. Thanks to all of you who have supported WMNF and this show in particular in our recent fall fundraiser. If you missed that opportunity, there's still time to drop us a tip at WMNF.org slash donate. And please direct your contribution to MPW, Midpoint Wednesday, and we'll be very, very grateful. Today is October 26th, and we are a mere two weeks away from what may be the most consequential election in the modern history of the United States. On one side, you have the Republicans, many, perhaps most, of whom are still enthralled to former President Donald Trump, still denying the results of the last election. And on the other side, we have the Democrats, who are swimming in a political storm that has them fighting to get upstream against the difficult economic consequences of truly global events that are easy to blame on the party in power. In many places, the authority of elections themselves are fighting for legitimacy or corrupted by partisanship. So these are very dangerous times for democracy in the United States. Locally, Perhaps no race is as politically polarized as the race for the Florida House seat in newly redistricted District 62. There's no doubt that this is a heavily Democratic-leaning district, and it's not much of a contest between the Republican and the Democrat. The legislature expanded this district across the bay and gerrymandered it to pile more Democrats into it to protect the Republican advantage in other districts in Pinellas County. But the candidates seeking to represent District 62 personally represent some of the starkest divisions in our politics. And that's why I thought it would be interesting for you to hear from them in their own words. So in the studio with me today, I want to welcome the current Democratic representative to the Florida House from current District 70 in St. Petersburg who is now the Democratic candidate for election to the newly created District 62 in South St. Petersburg, East Tampa, Progress Village, Palm River, and all the way to the far western edge of Brandon in Hillsborough County. Michelle Rayner goolsby Welcome, Michelle. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Shelley. Michelle Rayner is the first openly queer black woman to be elected to the Florida legislature. She represents and advocates for a progressive agenda on issues like women's reproductive choice, support for public schools, protection from protection for LGBTQ people and especially kids. So she is against the governor's culture war laws like the Don't Say Gay law, Stop Woke, the book bans, and many of the topics that we have explored on Midpoint this last year. In contrast, Michelle's Republican opponent, Jeremy Michael Brown, cannot be with us today because he is currently detained in the Pinellas County Jail, and he's awaiting his trial on federal charges, including some charges related to his presence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. He is a retired Special Forces soldier and a member of the Oath Keepers, 
who claims in his campaign that he is a, quote, political prisoner, close quote. Mr. Brown has been campaigning for this seat from the jail by distributing recorded campaign speeches on SoundCloud. So he will be represented by a brief recorded speech touting his candidacy. Although Jeremy Brown can't answer any questions or respond to your comments, Michelle Rayner is here in the studio with us, and you can join our conversation with her by calling 813-239-9663, emailing us at dj at wmnf.org, or by texting us at 813-433-0885. Uh, Michelle, thank you for giving us so much of your time today away from the campaign. I know it's hard to cut time out away from talking to constituents, um, but you'll be with us for the hour, and Mr. Brown will not be with us at all. So in fairness, I'm going to start by giving him about five minutes to make a pitch for his campaign, um, and then we'll talk with you. So Jessica, would you please uh, play Mr. Brown for us? Hello, my name is Jeremy Brown. I'm a 20-year retired U.S. Army Special Forces Master Sergeant that served this great nation with honor and pride. In October 1992, at the age of 18, I swore an oath to an almighty God that I would support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. This Constitution that codifies into law the rights that God bestowed on each of us at birth. I have upheld that oath as an Army Ranger, Green Beret, firefighter, father, business owner, coach, and U.S. congressional candidate. On July 28, 2021, I joined the elite ranks of our founding fathers when I, too, was declared a terrorist by a tyrannical government. On September 30, 2021, I became a political prisoner of war when I was arrested by the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force. This is a silent, secret war being fought for our very liberty and the restoration of our constitutional republic. Today, I am prepared to renew that oath by seeking your vote and support as your next Florida House representative in Tallahassee. Unlike many in our state and federal government, I have upheld my oath without reservation for nearly 30 years and I have no intention of faltering now not even in the face of an out-of-control federal government drunk on power. In December of 2020, the very government I served for 20 years and that entrusted me to hold a top-secret, sensitive, compartmentalized information security clearance attempted to recruit me to be a confidential informant for the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force. I was asked if I would be willing to collect information, a.k.a. spy, on groups of law-abiding American citizens. If that sounds hard to believe, listen for yourself at jeremybrowndefense.com because I recorded the entire meeting. To the FBI chagrin, I absolutely refused their unconstitutional offer. On January 5th and 6th, 2021, I volunteered to be part of a personal security detail tasked with protecting organizers and speakers at the Stop the Steal rally in our nation's capital. This was the single largest political rally in American history. In the weeks that followed, it became clear to me why I had been recruited by the historically corrupt FBI. The testimony of FBI Director Christopher Wray in front of Congress was the final straw that made me realize I could not remain silent. 
On March 5, 2021, I took my story to the American people in a two-hour interview that has been seen by millions of Americans. In it, I explained what I knew and my professional opinions about what happened on January 6th from the perspective of a 20-year Special Forces combat veteran. I knew going public against the corrupt FBI and Pravda-style corporate media narrative would put my life, liberty, and property in jeopardy, as well as the safety of my family and friends. But if not me, then who? On September 30th, 2021, I was arrested by the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force at my Tampa home on two counts of misdemeanor trespassing and then later charged with felonies after an illegal search warrant. My real crime? Knowing too much and speaking out loudly about it. I'm currently still being held without bond in violation of the Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in maximum security lockup in the Pinellas County Jail. I believe God has a plan for me. My training and experience as a U.S. Army Ranger and Green Beret, as well as every difficulty and struggle, has prepared me for this moment in history. So I'm humbly asking for the opportunity to earn your support and vote to be your next representative in the Florida House of Representatives. Liberty is under assault, and it's time for patriots, not politicians, warriors, not wimps, leaders, not leeches, to stand in her defense. I am Jeremy Brown. I approve of this message, but I'm pretty sure the FBI does not. Rangers lead the way, the oppressor bear, liberty or death. All right, thank you. That was uh, candidate uh, Jeremy Michael Brown uh, speaking in a recorded statement from the Pinellas County Jail where he is currently being held on federal charges, some of which, but not all of which, are associated with uh, his presence at the Capitol on January 6th. I should mention that it, uh, according to the Florida Division of Elections, um, it's unclear whether his being in jail could actually uh, impede his ability to hold public office if he's still in jail uh, and was to be elected, although his election is uh, probably not in the offing. But I think it's also important to be clear that he's facing only misdemeanor charges for his presence at the Capitol on January 6th. He could have been released on the January 6th charges alone, but he's actually, actually in jail because he was detained by the federal court on other charges in a separate case uh, for felony uh, possession of an of unregistered explosive grenades, firearms, 8,000 rounds of ammunition, and classified documents that were found at his Tampa home. A local federal judge ordered that he remain detained in that case, saying he might pose a threat to law enforcement officers based on a sign that he posted on his door telling them to remember their oaths and come back, quote, with a bigger tactical package. So although he promotes himself as a political prisoner in jail over his support for the January 6th events at the Capitol, he's really being held over his threat to local law enforcement. All right, so now that we've done our broadcast fairness duty uh, to Mr. for Mr. Brown, I, I want to turn to Michelle Rayner and her candidacy. Um, Michelle, uh, probably there's no race, uh, at least in Florida, that's as politically polarized as yours. There couldn't be, I don't think, candidates more different uh, in a, their political perspectives than you and Mr. Brown. Um, how does that make you feel? Um, you know, 
it's interesting um, because when I found out that he was in custody uh, and for the reasons that you have laid out, I just thought it was interesting to me because how can you, um, if in my opinion, and this is strictly my opinion, want to overthrow the government, want to take down the government, and then yet want to serve in a capacity in the state house. Um, you know, I, I think that this is more of a platform for him. Um, I think in this particular district, it's so Democratic leaning, it's mathematically impossible for him to win. But I think, Shelly, what's the the scarier part is, is if he was running in a different part of Florida, it is very possible that he would have been the Republican nominee and that he would have he would be he elected. Yeah, he could win. He could win. Um, I think in this district, that's just not a possibility. Um, and I think that people are hip to that. Um, but it is it's it's very sad. But it's also a sign of where our 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 country has has come to. Yes, I you know um, I know Michelle that you went from being a full time criminal defense lawyer uh, before you ran for the state house, um, and. Uh, before serving in the Florida legislature. So I want to think, I, I want to ask you whether being a, you think being a criminal defense lawyer prepared you for being a Democratic uh, representative in the Florida House um, <laughs> and how? Because I, I personally, I was a criminal defense lawyer before I retired. And I know that we criminal defense lawyers are, are accustomed to fighting, fighting, fighting hard. And then losing, much like yes. the Democrats in the Florida House uh, have have been this past session. Um, so I uh, I know that your current district, the new district, District sixty two that you're in, uh, has been basically gerrymandered to pile in so many more Democratic voters um, in an effort not to help you, but to protect other districts in the Pinellas County area, I think. Um, and so as a consequence, like you said, it's mathematically impossible for Mr. Brown to win in District 60, District 62. But I, I really wonder, what was it like facing so many Republican laws that went completely against your own values this session? Um, I know that you're accustomed to a hard fight. Mm -hmm. I know that. Uh, I know that from, you know, just being a criminal defense attorney. Mm -hmm. And I know that you carried that fight with you into the legislature. But it had to be really kind of um, disheartening. Yeah. No, I mean, my first term, I think that I was shocked more than anything. You know, I really... So my experience in Tallahassee, I actually worked for Senator Athenia Joyner. I was her legislative aide oh, okay. um, yeah. in 2007, 2008. So, you know, that was a very different legislature then than we had than we have now. You know, back then we had folks that would vote on their values and on their morals and that would, you know, members of the Republican Party would defect if they didn't think it was right. Um, and this legislature is not like this. This legislature, um, even when you could count on the Senate to be the adult in the room, has, has you know, kind of become more like the Florida House, right? And so for me, I thought that going up to Tallahassee, I would be able to do really the work that I wanted to do, work on um, housing, food insecurity, workforce. And those are things that I actually did accomplish and work across the aisle. I was not prepared for the level of culture wars that we experienced. And I think obviously being a criminal defense attorney, working with prosecutors, making your case prepared me for that. I think that is just very different 
when you are not only advocating for your own being as a woman, as a black person, as a member of the LGBTQ community, but you're also carrying that weight of all of those communities on you as you are walking into a chamber. And I think the other part was, I mentioned we had a legislature, you know, that would vote their conscience um, regardless of, you know, what their party thought. And it was hard to have colleagues, Republican colleagues, whisper to me, like, you know, Michelle, I know this is foolishness. I know this is horrible, but I cannot not vote. And I'm like, yes, you can. You're grown. Um, <laughs> but uh, so it was, you know, it's it's been definitely a learning experience for me. Yeah, I, I, you know, I imagine that that does happen, you know, where these Republican colleagues of yours tell you privately that they don't support some of these culture war initiatives that have been coming out of the governor and the leadership, but yet there they are, then and they they vote for them. Um, it's it seems the same thing has been happening in the United States Congress, which um, brings me to um, my question about the fact that you were going to run for Congress when, yeah. when Charlie Crist declared uh, for governor. Um, but then after redistricting, you and the other uh, Democrats, with the exception of Eric Lynn, uh, decided not to run for that seat. And you decided to run to keep what is essentially, in part anyway, your House seat again. So tell us about that decision. Yeah, I mean, that was a very hard decision. Um, you know, that seat was gerrymandered in such a way that it makes it very difficult for a Democrat to win. I think Eric is running a tremendous campaign. I think the campaign that he's running has made that seat competitive. Um, but also in my calculus, um, there was just... I don't have access to millions of dollars, right? I don't have access to um, what it would take to keep a seat that is now an R plus seven and R plus 10, which was a Biden plus four in, in that in a way that was um, that we needed to. And so I actually was thinking, I'm not going to run for anything. And my wife was like, uh, absolutely not. And um you know, other folks in the community and including leadership in, in the Florida Democratic Party said, you know, listen, Michelle, like, I want you to consider coming back. And then I saw who was running in the primary and the type of candidate that they've been and the type of politician they've been. And, you know, I've always said our people deserve better. Our people deserve folks who aren't going to be bought and sold by Republicans, aren't going to be bought and sold by special interests. Um, if you can buy my vote for a thousand dollars, then my word and, and who I am isn't really worth much. Now, I know uh, you're not mentioning any names, but I will. You're talking about Wenge Newton. Okay, go keep continue. Please and so, continue. And so, you know, that was probably the the point that, ma that made me decide to go back. And then also just like, you know, thinking about it, there was some unfinished work that I have um, to do. And I know that we're going into a really tough fight into this uh um, this legislative session, you know, we are fighting to keep the 42 that we have mm -hmm. to make sure that it doesn't, the legislature doesn't go into a super majority. And so while I'm in a general, um, I'm in a relatively safe seat. So I've been helping folks like Andrew Learned, who's running here in Hillsborough, or Jen McDonald, who's running here in Hillsborough, Lindsey Cross, who's running across the bridge, um, and even Unic Ortiz, who's running as a state senator. And as far as Carlos Guillermo Smith, who's running in Orlando, and all of these people, 
people that I just named are seats that the Republicans are targeting, whether they are incumbents or whether they are newer seats or open seats. These are all seats that Republicans are targeting. And I think the Republicans know something that Democrats don't know because they're putting millions of dollars into these race, these races, knowing that if the Democrats had the money, that these races would be competitive. And I think that all of those people I named are doing a tremendous job um, making sure that this race is, their races are competitive because they're in within points of each other. Lindsey Cross right now is leading. Andrew is within points. Eunuch is within points. And as Jen McDonald and as Carlos. So I think that we've got to make sure that we are bringing folks back and bringing new folks with us as well. Well, I'm sure that they're very grateful uh, for your help. I want to just in- interject um, into our discussion the fact that I've received a number of messages here on email and text. Oh, wow, uh, already. You know, <laughs> well, well, people mostly objecting to the fact that we played the Jeremy Brown recording and wondering, you know, why why we gave uh, any airtime to I mean, I think him. it's fair. I think you have to be fair. I mean, you have to be impartial, I think. And then also there's nothing to hide. Let the listener decide decide for themselves what we know what they want you know what what they think about it I, I have no problem you know I have no problem standing on my record uh you know I was at an event probably about three weeks ago where I brought up Jeremy Brown his supporters were there and they stormed the podium like he stormed the Capitol and I was like okay um and so you know I think that when people hear him when people see him they will know the clear contrast it's a clear clear contrast and and we have some messages to that effect too Charles in Tampa wrote in the only way to make any sense of Mr. Brown's nonsensical statement is to acknowledge that he is an occult that's the only logical structure that allows the hypocrisy, contradiction, speculation, innuendo, and outright fiction inherent in his ranting. Uh, that's Charles in Tampa, and Charles's uh, statement is kind of uh, symbolic of a number of the statements that that we've received, and uh, and so. Uh, uh, I wanted to just uh, share that with you all listening because I, I do think that Michelle has, has stated it um, pretty much the way we considered it when we planned the show, which was, you know, give everybody their shot to hear both candidates and uh, make your own decision. And I think certainly the listeners at WMNF are, are smart enough to do that. I, I have another um message here from Karen in Dunedin who says, I am in one of those gerrymandered districts and I have uh, Paula Luna running, I think she means Anna Paulina Luna. Anna Paulina Luna running in my district. She's a nut. I hope the number of campaign flyers against her will sway Voters. That's from Karen and Dunedin. Yeah. I wonder if that's uh, my friend Karen and Dunedin. No, but <laughs> but yeah, no. I mean, um, you know, she's one of those other people that is kind of you know she wasn't there on January sixth, but believes that this was not a legitimate election. Believes that Donald Trump is still the president. And you know, part of it, Shelley, for me is like, do you really believe this? Or are you just saying this because this is the message that you have to you know have to spout? And I will tell you this: I actually talked to a Republican colleague of mine. And we're very good friends. And I had a conversation with him. I said, listen, do you really believe this SHIT? Do you really believe this? (laughs) And he said, no, but he's the leader and he's the guy that they picked. And this is what we got to do. Yeah. And I was like, that's 
awful. It is. It, it seems it's indicative of people who are there just to maintain power. Correct. You know, just to maintain power. It's like they'll say anything, you know, even things they don't believe. But it does lead me to a, a question for you, though, because now that they've given you this ginormous uh, district that extends so far from your home base in South St. Pete or in St. Pete proper, um, you know, you're going to have constituents in this, in this e- even though it, it leans far democratic, you're going to have constituents that do not um, agree with your your mm-hmm. political position. And, um, you know, so uh, this your new district is so much bigger geographically, and there are going to be so many more people whose interests are different from yours, different from the people of South St. Pete, from the people of Palm River mm-hmm. or the people in the port area or what have you. You know, how do you how do you handle that? I mean, I think I do what I've always done when we're going to open uh, an additional office in this area. But, um, you know, I've already started meeting with um, community leaders, neighborhood associations um, uh, in in preparation for what this district is going to be. And I think that we do what we've always done. We, we keep talking to people. We keep leaning in. We keep being present. Um, and I understand that, you know, there are people who are Democrats that don't always agree with me. Right. Um, and so I think that for me, it's leaning in and leading in a way that is with, as my wife would say, you know, with uh, accountability, transparency, and integrity. And I think that is what makes the difference in 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 that. Um, but yeah, you know, we are already starting to be around. We were just over uh, at Palmetto at Palmetto Beach. Uh, we were just, uh, I've been very active in Progress Village. We're going to be doing work uh, in different parts of Gibsonton and Brandon. So it is just really doing that work and leaning in and of course you know I live in South St. Pete so being there as well so having an office in South St. Pete having an office uh, in Hillsboro being in those offices you know having it in places where people feel like they can walk in which is a little scary now that you know yeah I mean yeah I, I that is that. a little scary I've been like thinking about how d- there has to be some type of security which is such a shame because such a shame it never used to be like that I've been hosting a guest from France for the last week uh, who's the chief judge of the court in La Havre, which is a sister city to Tampa. And she's been participating in an educational program with the judges and prosecutors and public defenders at our courthouse. And she's just amazed at the level of kind of the sense of threat that people here in America are facing over this election. And yeah. it's, it was hard to explain. It was hard to, you know. I've had people reach out to me who um, are familiar with Mr. Brown and said that they are glad that he's in custody during this election because they would be, they would really fear for my safety. I have feared for my safety with regard to his supporters and um, and his campaign team. I've been, you know, approached and accosted at events. Uh, they have taken pictures of me. They have followed me outside. Um, so yeah, I mean, this it's real. Yeah. We are here with uh, Democratic candidate Michelle Rayner Goolsby, who's running for the new house, District 62, which is a heavily Democratic district. And we're talking about her campaign. We're talking about the election, the Florida legislature, and anything else on your mind, which you can raise 
by calling 813-239-9663, by emailing dj at wmnf.org, or by texting us at 813-433-0885. So uh, if, you're, if you've been thinking about the election or about these issues, um, give us a call. Let us hear from you. Um, so let me ask you, um, what expectations should Floridians have for the next legislative session? Listen, if, uh, you know, one, we're going to see more culture wars. There will be an abortion ban that it will be introduced. Um, we already, you think we're going to have a complete abortion ban in Florida? You know, I think it will be introduced. Um, you know, the hopeful part of me says no, right? Mm-hmm. The hopeful part says no, but I think that we're in trouble if uh, Ron DeSantis gets reelected. That would actually happen, which is why it's vitally important that Charlie Crist, in my opinion, gets gets elected. Um, I think that you're going to see... He didn't, uh, excuse me, but uh, DeSantis did not answer that question uh, in the debate between oh, uh, him I mean, first and off, Charlie. Charlie did amazing. I um, thought so. I, Charlie did very well. Um, he didn't answer a lot of questions, and he outright, including whether he'd remain his governor for four, for, years. for four years. In fact, you saw him get very nervous and start ticking, and all of those things. Um, he got super nervous, and you know, because here's the thing: Ron DeSantis is a perfect example of what it means to have yes people in the room and never be challenged and never have someone to tell you no, and he doesn't like that. And you can see it in his mannerisms. You can see it in how he starts shaking his head and how he starts, you know, doing the things. And I found out on Twitter uh, that Senator Jason Pizzo, who was uh, helping uh, Governor Christ uh, prepare for the <laughs> Governor Christ, yes, that's a well, Floridian I, frip. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you can call him that. I mean, yeah, Governor Christ, um, you know, was helping him prepare for the uh, debate. You know invoked a lot of that um and i think that you know ron DeSantis is very clear i think there was a clear contrast you know i felt like you know there's a reason that ron ron i call him ronald dion that ronald dion didn't want to have um you know any more debates but that one because i think that he knew what was coming um and i think that the contrast is very very clear and for a guy who went to law school he's not a good debater no and he talks about the elites i'm like you went to harvard and yale yeah like what are you talking about i went to florida state and florida (laughs) coastal school of law like you went to harvard and yale sir like i mean come on he but he's not he's not quick on his feet he's not very uh, he's not a good debater because he doesn't want anyone to challenge him yes that is the issue he cannot stand to be challenged right I have a a call here from DeAndre in Pinellas County. Let me bring DeAndre into the conversation. Hi, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, I actually live in Hillsborough, but I do ride here, and I just happen to be in Pinellas County. Okay. Thank you you for this opportunity. I I just have a – I can't help but feel like the environment is, like, totally being put to the side, and that can be a unifying thing. And one of the things I find about the environment is that the tech that is out there is incredible if if the research is done. But I don't, I mean, like, I don't feel like it's being acknowledged enough um, and, like, uh, that being pushed on uh, to the agenda to kind of scrap over. DeAndre, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, You know, Michelle, in the debate between Chris and uh, Ronald Dion, as you call Mm -hmm. him, um, 
it was astounding to me that there wasn't one question about the environment or climate change when it is such an enormous uh, issue for Floridians. So, DeAndre, thank you for bringing that up. I appreciate it. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and I know that for the district, the old district and the new district, the you know, environment, uh, environmental justice, resiliency is a huge issue. Obviously, we saw with Piney Point how yes. that not only affected the beaches, but you're thinking about folks inland, thinking about folks that live in live in South St. Pete proper. There's stuff, um, there is noxious fumes that are happening over in Childs Park right next to Fairmont Elementary where kids at sometimes can't go out and play. So I think that when we're looking at the environment, it's not just like, oh, the beaches, but we got to think about what environmental justice looks like and how we are able to, to do that. And once again, you know, I always say this, it's not about the lack of funds. It's not about the lack of uh, uh, resources to be able to do it. It's really about the lack of political will. And because you heard the, you know, Ronald uh, say that he has, you know, um, that you know we have the highest surplus uh, budget that we've had in history. Well, if that's those are that, Biden bucks, yeah, aren't they? <laughs> thank you, Joe Biden. But if that's the case, you're using money to you know travel hu- traffic humans from Texas to Martha's Vineyard instead of using that money right here in Florida to deal with the environmental crisis, to deal with the teacher shortage, to make sure that veteran teachers get paid because they love to talk about we've increased teacher pay, new teacher pay. You didn't increase veteran teacher pay, right? right? So and people are leaving the profession in droves. By, and by in droves. Yeah. And w- one one point that DeAndre made that I think I don't want to get lost in the shuffle is he made the point that if anything should be an issue that should unite everybody in Florida, Republicans and Democrats, it should be the environment. But science, you know, science and yeah. facts are a thing, right? Yeah. Science and facts, you know, that's he's absolutely right. It should unite us. But like when people don't want to value and listen to science and listen to facts that is that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, we had a governor when Rick Scott was the governor who forbade anybody in the administration from using the words climate change. I don't remember that, but yeah, it was astounding. Um, but I think he, I think DeAndre made a great point. I mean, that's something. It's not that, a partisan issue. Yeah, it shouldn't be a partisan Correct. issue. I mean, when your house is being flooded, or your uh, or your water is undrinkable, it does, doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Correct. So uh, let me ask you, how does your uh, being a queer black woman inform your work in the legislature? I know representation is important, but there's also a large conservative black community among your constituents Mm -hmm. uh, who may not agree with, like you said, all of your positions on things like particularly abortion, for example. Um, So how do you speak to them? Listen, um, I think that, you know, I show up fully who I am. I show up at the table as a woman, as a cisgendered woman. I show up at the table as a black person with a being black here in America. I show up at the table being a person who identifies as a part of the LGBTQ community. And so I talk, I speak from a place of authenticity. I speak from a place of when I'm thinking about legislation, I often think about how it would affect all of these groups, right? Because this is how I show up. So that's one. Number two, I listen to people I know that there is a, you know, conservative uh, population in my district. Heck, my mom, if she lived in my district, would have, would be one of those conservative folks. But, you know, even when we think about abortion, I think that, you know, they feel like, you know, black folks, oh, you know, they're, they're monolithic. But I, I, you know, I've heard pastors say, listen, 
if God gives us the free will to, you know, choose salvation, why should a person tell me what I can and cannot choose? That is a decision that you have to make on your own. And so I think that for me, I love bringing these conversations uh, that are uh, what people feel like are a little bit more progressive into the church. Because if anyone knows the black church, they know the history of a social gospel that they've had. They know the history that the black church during the civil rights movement was on the forefront, that liberation theology actually came out of the black church. And so I think that we have to tap into that and we have to have real conversations about what affects folks. You know, and I love that we always talk to black folks about criminal justice they're like okay but i care about my house i care about my money i care about schools just like everyone else so speaking to people as people i think is what cuts through all of that and what i found um just being able to be elected again is that they don't care who i'm married to they care about the work that i'm doing all right, Michelle Rayner is in the studio with us. She's a candidate for District 62, New District 62 in the Florida House. It's a district that has been gerrymandered to cut across the bay uh, from South St. Pete all the way to the western edge of Brandon. Um, and she's running in that heavily Democratic district. And uh, you can join our conversation if you give us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. Michelle is running against uh, a, a candidate who's currently running from the Pinellas County Jail, where he's uh, being held on uh, charges of um, possession of unregistered uh, weapons and ammunition and also related to his presence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. So um, she and her um, opponent have very, very different, uh, very, very different agendas, let's say. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same vein, St. Pete, where your current district is, is uh, limited to the St. Pete area, so St. Pete and Tampa are very different places, very different. don't you think? A hundred percent. And and one of the arguments against gerrymandering has always been that it shoehorns communities of very different interests into the same district and then asks the representative to represent them all, uh, even in situations where there may be some you know, issues that are in conflict and it pits those communities' priorities against each other. So you have to go to the legislature and, and advance something for one place that may not help you know, the other place that is part of your district. So do you foresee any of that kind of thing happening in your new district? Um, you know, I've thought about it. I mean, I know that there are certain issues that are that are, you know, St. Pete specific or Pinellas County specific and Hillsborough specific. But one of the things that I found is a common thread is one is the is the roads. Um, we, there are roads that need to be fixed in uh, South St. Pete as well. Um, roads that need to be fixed most certainly in Brandon. Also, the sewer issue is a huge issue in uh, South St. Pete. I'm seeing a little bit of that here in Hillsborough. In South Tampa. Yeah, and in South Tampa as well. So even though South Tampa isn't a part of my district, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that's a 
affecting, um, you know, the other parts. So I, I think for me, it is finding those common issues, but also, you know, being okay with advocating for different issues for different parts of the district, but saying we need to get all of this done. And so I, I look forward to working with our delegation um, on both sides of the county, uh, both sides of the, the district, rather. So Pinellas County delegation and Hillsborough County delegation to make sure that the folks of Hillsborough and Pinellas have what they need to um, have, you know, equitable lives and, and get done what they need to get done. I have a call here from Fran from Largo. Uh, let me bring Fran into the conversation. Fran, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, yes, I just uh, want to make a comment about, uh, you know, your opponent that's in jail and uh, his speech. Uh, and he uh, he brought up God quite a few times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh and I've noticed with these uh, Republican, uh, I call them fascists, really. I just go ahead and call them Go fascists. right ahead, Fran. <laughs> okay, I have your okay, good. Uh, they, uh, a part of them are in, you know, in their religious belief. They're referring to God and they're doing this for God and all that. But the other part of them, maybe it's the bigger part, I don't know. They're strictly in it for the money. That, and and that's that's a big dividing point against these people. I, I think it's a it's it's a weak point to me. Uh, so um, that's all I wanted to point out. Uh, thank you for letting me speak. Thank okay, you. Okay, thanks, Fran, for joining our conversation. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know. Um, the danger, as I see it in this election, is that the Republicans in Florida will finally get that supermajority that they've been, you know, so anxious to get. We talked a little bit about that in the early part of your visit here. It, it's going to make your job as a Democrat that much more difficult. It will be, you'll be playing full defense yeah. and no offense. Uh, if, for example, Janet Cruz loses her Senate seat, uh, she's in a very, very tight race with uh, mm -hmm. Jay Collins. Last election, she won her seat by 411 votes after a recount. Um, and so that's a that's a position that I'm, um, you know, really yeah. curious about and um, anxious about. And and the, if the House gains a few more Republicans, how many is it before they have a supermajority? Uh, I think we would have to go down to 38 mm. Democrats and uh, then they would have a supermajority. And if that happens, like, is it game over for stopping or amending the truly bad legislation that we can anticipate? Shelly, I don't want to think about it. Okay. I, don't want to I want to have positive thoughts, Shelly. I want to have positive thoughts. But no, I mean, to that point, yes. I mean, I mean well, the reason I'm I mean, asking the rules, you... The, the rules are waived. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, you don't have to follow rules. You don't have to... The committee, you can not have to follow the committee process. You don't have to really do anything. Our presence will be there just to look nice and to make, you know, speeches on the floor. Um well, but, the, but let me stop you right there for a second. One of the things we uh, have to 
have to look at when we look at our candidates, certainly what Democrats have to look at is, are they strong enough to 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 stand up and, and try to be effective in some regard if that 100%. should happen? You know, that's, I mean, for me personally, that's certainly something that I would want to know about a candidate running in this cycle, you know? A hundred percent. I mean, I will thank you. I'll tell you a perfect example. Um, when we had the Don't Say Gay bill and there were seven uh, Republicans that actually voted with the Democrats, it was myself and uh, Representative uh, Carlos Guillermo Smith that went to them individually. And I remember having a conversation with one a particular representative and I said, you know, listen, I've said publicly that you are a good man. I said publicly that you've been an honorable man. I said, don't make me regret those words. And that particular representative ended up voting with us. But, um, you know, you have to have folks that are going to be able to have those conversations that are going to be able to not just uh, be flipped because please believe that if, especially when we're thinking about bills that are uh, public records exemptions where you need two thirds of the body. So Democrats then become important um, that you need folks that are going to be like, no, I'm not going to vote for that. You know, you need folks that are going to stand strong and, uh, so, you know, that is also concerning. Um, you know, I, I'm concerned about some Democrats that are coming back. We have Kim Daniels that is coming back. Oh, yeah. You right. Know, she's notorious for saying that she thanks God for slavery because if she wasn't uh in America, she'd be in Africa worshiping a tree. She she's a black woman. She's a black woman. Yeah. Who um Representative Angie Nixon beat uh and beat her um and now she's rep she ran to represent another district. So Representative Nixon is coming back, but then so now with Kim Daniels, right? Uh, um, we also have you know um you know folks like that. That that's concerning. That is yes. very concerning because uh what is that going to look like? And especially in this, in this, in this, in this way, you know, climate that we're in. And, you know, I understand that she's a preacher. Listen, I'm a believer in God, uh, but we, we believe in very, very different God, very different gods. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're talking with uh, Michelle Rayner, candidate for new district 62 to the Florida house, which is a district that jumps the bay from South St. Pete all the way to the western edge of Brandon. Uh, you can join our conversation by giving us a call at 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-433-0885. I have a, a message here from somebody who didn't give me their name, but uh, who wanted to know where's the outrage about the public school system, DeSantis's policies, including reopening school before the vaccine was available, making teachers and support staff wait to get vaccinated, killed people. And and this person said that her cousin was was one of those people as a school bus driver. Look up my wife, Bianca Goolsby, teaching yeah. for the culture. Right. That is her wheelhouse. Um, there has been outrage. There has been, you know, a movement of people holding them accountable. Um, her organization, I know, Shelly, you're very familiar with it. They do a tremendous job. She's actually yeah, been... We've, we've, had, we've had Bianca on the show, yeah. I think, a year or two so ago. But yeah. Yeah, and... Um, I think, and then I think probably about six months ago, she was on with Liz. Like, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, there are folks that are outraged, you know, and usually for me, uh, when there's anything education related, I talk to <laughs> you my punt. wife. You yes, punt to, to I talk Bianca. to my wife and I'm like, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but I think that that's a great point. 
But yeah, the school, the, the, the public, the issue of support or lack of support for the public schools is going to be, uh, I think, an enormous issue in the coming legislative session. Um, I mean, I get that question when I send out text messages, right? You know, people who are for choice and people who are, you know, for public school. And listen, I, you know, this is what I say. I think, should every parent have a right to choose? Absolutely. But what I want is that public schools to be equitably funded. What I want is for public school teachers to be paid. What I want is for charter schools to be held at the same um, at, at the same level as public schools should be held at. You know, we shouldn't have a teacher in a charter school that's not um, not licensed. It's right. not, you know, all of those things, you know. So I think that we have to have a real conversation about that. We can't take from public schools and give to charter schools where 90% of our children you know, are in public are school. in public school, and ten percent of our children are in charter school. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have that. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that why are we defunding public schools at the cost of charter schools? Because you're also rendering the parents in public schools you're not giving them a choice as well mm-hmm. because they're choosing to keep their child in public schools. Right. So uh, you you seem to have um, a, a group in the legislature of progressive progressive legislators who must be a great source of support and comfort (laughs) and it's you and Anna Escamani and Carlos Guillermo Smith and uh, Angie Nixon Angie Nixon yeah anyone else I forgot um uh, Representative McCurdy but unfortunately he was beat by Bruce Anton who also is a concern (laughs) (laughs) also is a concern he is an acolyte of my primary opponent he Uh, is an acolyte of Kim Daniels so uh, uh, we are uh you know, we're that's concerning, but you know, we have a good group of folks that are coming back. Yeah. And um so we'll see, you know, and hopefully that, you know, he will understand kind of where we're at. I'm not asking anyone to be as progressive as me. I'm not asking one anyone to change their beliefs. But what I am asking is that if we can be a united front, that we can stand together and do what we need to do in order to um help move the state forward. Yeah. And maybe maybe one of the things that, that this your group can focus on is the environment because it would uh, it, it would seem to me that DeAndre who called earlier made a great point about if ever there should be an area where there should be bipartisanship it should be 100%. On, the, on the environment and so maybe you know maybe and we saw a little bit of that last session, I think Representative Bartleman had a resiliency bill. She's a Democrat from Broward County, had a resiliency bill, and that was taken and put in the bigger resiliency package. So there are moments of those bipartisanship moments, but at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't be by... Yeah, we, I, you want me to be have bipartisan moments, but then yet in the middle of those bipartisan bipartisanship moments, you were telling me my life doesn't matter. You're telling yeah. me that uh, we can't teach Black history. We're, you're saying that we can't protest. You're saying that LGBTQ people should be erased from you know education i mean there was a bill that was introduced last year that i most certainly will be introduced this year that you know will give a doctor a right to say i don't want to treat you if you are lgbtq if you are so like you can't ask me to have these bipartisan bipartisan moments but yet kill me at the same time no i understand it's going to be it's got to be really uh, you know i mean so much depends on this election of course so you know i mean if we don't have ron DeSantis in the governor's it makes things a lot better and a lot easier (laughs) it will still be hard because you know uh if the legislature is a super majority they could override uh governor chris veto Mm -hmm. but um 
it makes things a lot, you know, it makes the, it makes things a lot harder for Democrats and for people. And I, and I want to say this, the, the legislature is gerrymandered to keep power. The, everyone's like, Florida's a red state. No, it's not. Right. It is gerrymandered to keep power. Right. Florida is a purple state. Florida, I think, has the opportunity to even be more blue than what it is. But when you gerrymander districts where it is mathematically impossible for a Democrat to win in a Republican district... Yes. Like it's mathematically impossible for this Republican to win in my district. It's just mathematically impossible. It is gerrymandered to keep power. Right. Right. But I do think that if we didn't have Ron DeSantis in the governor's office planning to run for president, a lot of these very divisive uh, culture war things, 100%. you know, would not be on it's the him plate. and Greg Abbott trying to race to the bottom. Greg Abbott out of Texas. Yes. This is this race to the bottom, race to see who can be the nominee, race to see all of those things. And you're doing it on the backs of of people. Yeah. And I do think that that would get, allow the legislature to maybe have a different agenda, mm-hmm. you know, where they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily be looking to support him in his race to, you know, a higher office. Um, I have a, a message here. Uh, again, I, it's a text message, so I don't have a name, but uh, it says we, quote unquote, are defunding the public schools for two reasons. The first one is that it is a very large pot of public money that currently does not have a profit margin. Well, except for the part that has been diverted to charter schools. The other reason is so that far right wing fascists like our governor will fulfill their own prophecy of education being indoctrination so that they can legally teach false history and breed more brain-dead workers that they need to maintain their dominance. Well, that's the views of one of our listeners. I think that's Charles uh, who uh, sent us that, that view. Well, you know, yeah, one of the, one of the real um, dispiriting um, pieces of legislation that came out of the session this year was... Um, the the kind of uh, propaganda propaganda uh, requirement about the civics um, instruction sure. in the Florida schools. I mean, that's coming out the way that it's coming out of the Department of Education of Did Florida. Did you hear on the debate where? <laughs> Uh, DeSantis said that there are schools around the country that will take a white child and say that you are yes. the oppressor. And I was like, I want the receipt on that. I do too. I said, I said the same thing. I said the same thing when I watched it. Yeah, where? Where? Where, where, where? is Give that? me the receipt because yeah. that's not happening. Give me the receipt. Right. And so now we have the civics curriculum that alludes to the fact that the founding fathers were all against Slavery, even though they owned, they owned, the, they owned enslaved people. Yeah, yeah. it's so. a, it's a, you know people are happy that there's civics instruction back in the schools, but you know what good is it if it's propaganda, correct? And not um, not true f- historical facts. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for Thanks being for with me. us. I've got to wrap up the show now. Um, and if you joined us late uh, in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand from the Midpoint archives at WMNF.org slash Midpoint or on the WMNF app or find us at WMNF Midpoint, wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to thank our WMNF volunteers, Jessica Green on the soundboard and Barbara Fling, who answers the phones for us. And as always, I thank you, the WMNF listeners, for your interest and support of Midpoint. If you enjoyed the show, please consider dropping a tip in the tip jar and please direct your donation to MPW Midpoint Wednesday. 
Uh, stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss up next. We are WMNF Tampa. Thank you, Michelle Rayner, for being with us. Yeah. Smiles in the-